As we are continuing our study on 1 Corinthians, we are now in chapter 14. Um, let me give you just a gentle warning. This is one of the most controversial passages of the entire Bible. And I've uh, experienced in many passages, there are disagreements from different scholars and different spiritual uh, leaders and pastors. But usually there is an intellectual calmness is there. Disagree, agree to disagree a lot of times. Conviction is there, but they don't hold on to it as very passionate. This must be all and end it all kind of dogmatic attitude. With few exceptions, though. But <laughs> past week, the more I read, the more I see these fiery uh conflicts going on among the different movements. And the reason why this is so controversial is because what we believe, every congregation believes about this passage is actually about what spirituality looks like. We all want to be spiritual people. So the reason why the scholars and commentators are so heated in terms of, of disagreeing things is that you've pushed a button when you hear the different opinions about that. Why? Because what you really believe as a spiritual are undermined by different view or vice versa. And I have to admit, there are some parts that I read and I felt angry. So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will help us to kind of weave through this. And I'm, going, I'm not going to introduce too much of it. And the more you hear about, the more you confusing it will be. But I believe we have a clear message from the Holy Spirit. So let's start with this. Verse 1 of chapter 14 starts with this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. If you remember, chapter 13 is a love chapter. It's not an isolated chapter, but it's in the context of Paul's answers to Corinthian church regarding public worship problems, the problems that occur during public worship. Starting with uh, chapter 11, actually, was about head covering, and I'm not going to go into that. And then chapter 12, to dealing with the spiritual gifts. As I mentioned, Corinth was known for supernatural gifts. There are all kinds of gifts were going on. And then uh, their gatherings were marked by this superlative Phenomenons, healing, speaking in tongue, people prophesying. And in, in some sense, it was so exciting, obviously. But in the other sense, there was so much of tension, uh, rivalries, and jealousy, divisions, consequently. So Paul answering 
using general principles in chapter 12 about how to live church life, body life, the building of the body of Christ. In chapter 14, he's returning that. In between, he called it the most excellent way. Pursue the most excellent way is love. He's coming back to the problem, but he starts with that. There are three things. Preliminary exhortation. The first one is pursue love. Why pursue love? Because love is the most excellent way. Love is the preeminent of the three lasting virtues. And then this, the whole thing is this. When in doubt, when you have any kind of confusion, go back to love. Think about is this loving thing to do. Why? Because the spiritual gifts on all these things, there's my experience and I could actually perform this in front of everyone. It's all a lot of self-recognition. So that's why some of the ugly things happens when people pursue their self-actualization, especially on TV, using gifts of the Holy Spirit to exalt themselves, to separate themselves, to, to give them titles like prophets, so-and-so, and asking for money. And it, it, I think the Holy Spirit frowns along with many of us as well. Another aspect. Pursue love is, think about it, and graduate from it and move on. Pursue love is a keep on thinking and operating in the way of love. Let's pick one. Love does not insist its own way. Love is not self-insisting, self-promoting, self-exalting. Love is humble. So serve one another with your spiritual gifts, with what you are really good at. If it's leadership, if it's teaching, if it's helping, people are going to recognize your strength. But do it in a humble way, a loving way. So in that sense, love is a gift of the Holy Spirit, but not in the sense of the gift of the Holy Spirit of leadership and speaking in tongues prophecy. Because when you think about love, is love is also a command and responsibility and fruit of every believer. We cannot say, oh, that person has a gift of love. I don't have the gift of love, and I have a gift of teaching. All I'm going to do is teach. No, you can't do that. Jesus said, by this, by loving one another, every man... Every woman will know that you are my disciples. That is a fruit that you are continually growing in love. So that's important. And the second exhortation is earnest desire. So this is a little kind of uh, surprisingly unexpected. But if you think about it, it's a pleasant as well. In other words, 
well-meaning uh, Christians will say, oh, you can't really decide your gift. So don't ever thinking about don't don't ever think about asking the Holy Spirit the gift. Paul clearly says, earnestly desire, long for, desire for spiritual gifts. So we could actually ask the Holy Spirit. What we are not to do is throwing a tantrum like a kid who wants you know Christmas gift this way. No, we could actually honestly and lovingly ask particular spiritual gifts. I remember when um, we visited um, Boy and Cindy in East Asia, very remote area. In that third culture, there's all kinds of demonic things and witch doctor things are going on. So we pray for spiritual gift. We pray that Boy and Cindy will have the Holy Spirit's healing power. And as you remember, that there's stories about Cindy uh, praying for people who are demon-possessed demon getting healed, and, and then they get to hear Boy and Cindy. They are interested, Boy and Cindy. One of the witch doctors were convinced they need to investigate about who Jesus is. So we could do that. So in other words, we need to we need to longingly desire to build the body of Christ rather than, oh, it's not my business. It's just it's so easy to become spectator, isn't it? Okay. And lastly, third exhortation is especially that you may prophesy. Okay. One of the extreme contention and obsession about the Corinthian church was the exhortation uh, of one gift, very phenomenal, supernatural gift called the Spirit speaking in tongue. So when you think about the ecstatic utterance happening in the middle of prayer, in the middle of worship, it gets attention. And that's why Pentecostal movement, extreme uh, charismatic movement, and known for that kind of phenomenon when they come to, any people come to their, their worship service. Apostle Paul's point of view, they were like a child playing with toys. And his in, in, uh, encouragement is, I'm going to actually show you how to edify the body of Christ better. He's not putting down Gifts of the whole, the gifts of speaking in tongue at all. We'll find out more, but he's actually intentionally comparing these two gifts in light of edification, and he's saying, "I rather have you desire more to prophesy." Having said that, we need to define two gifts because there are disagreements on this, uh, as I mentioned continuously cessationist that the miraculous gifts seized they will say 
about speaking in tongues, it is no longer exist because the revelation of full revelation of God's word it completed it. There is no need for that kind of sign. And in 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 turn, that you will say, speaking in tongue is only foreign language, human language, because Acts chapter two that happens, right? But including me in our church, who are actually continuationists. In other words, this miraculous gift continues until Jesus comes back. We believe that the speaking in tongue is a gift of the Holy Spirit to pray in utterance not understood by the speaker, sometimes in language, human language, sometimes as in Acts chapter 2, and sometimes there are unknown ecstatic utterance and nobody understands and 1 Corinthians 14 seems to be that case in terms of prophecy prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit to speak word or message or word to re- or report prompted spontaneously by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of three things edification encouragement and consolation of the church so now we need to clarify very important stuff because most people uh, most scholars that I will read and agree in most of the times will typically say prophecy here is identical with preaching preaching of the word I do not think so because it's a, once again cessationist point of view. Um, there is a Greek word for preaching. Paul intentionally used the word this prophesying. And, and there are many other reasons for that. But let's find out, first of all, uh, gift of prophecy is not to be equated with the infallible inspiration author- and authority of Scripture. So it is not... It is not same as God's word that is inerrant, in, infallible. And God's word exists and lasts forever with supreme authority. But New Testament uh, prophecy is not free, necessarily free from a human error. Thus requires discernment and judgment by scripture and spiritually mature leaders. This is what I mean. During the Old Testament times, the prophets, few God-chosen prophets were sent to the people of Israel. And they start the word of God because their mouth, literal mouthpiece of God, mouthpiece of God, and they say, thus saith the Lord. And their final authority was upon them. Their words are word of God. In the New Testament, the few were actually the apostles chosen by Christ and sent by Christ, and they become New Testament. Apostles' teaching equals New Testament. But there are, instead of few, many people who, are received, who have received the gifts 
of prophecy. So in this sense, the Holy Spirit prompted spontaneously as opposed to message and sermon is carefully crafted and prepared teaching and exhortation combined. But the gift of prophecy is prompted by the Holy Spirit, revealed in not such a way the uh, inspiration of Bible, but revealed by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And that timely words edifies. Another, another reason why the, uh, it is more than preaching, because it, the, um, oftentimes when it's, when it's defined, it's prophecies foretelling as well as foretelling. And sometimes New Testament uh, emphasis on foretelling becomes just the preaching because it, you're telling the word of God in present tense. So in a way, that I'm foretelling the word of God right now. But even in the New Testament, there is a foretelling component of it. There's a prediction side of it because of spontaneous prompting of the Holy Spirit. So how do you distinguish? A few things are important. One is we are not to equate, equate that with Scripture's authority. We, we need to put it under the authority of the Scripture. Two is locality. In this locale, God has given us specific word to edify the body of Christ. It is not universal. It is not timeless. So having said that, there are two, two things going on in my point of view. One is completely disregard this as just uh, preaching. And no lay person, typical people who are not full-time preachers, not interested in this at all. And it is a sad thing. And on the other side is the, the Pentecostal movement, extreme charismatic movement, abuse this gift. And as I mentioned, televisions, television list will say something like, I have prophesied from the Lord for, for God prompted me and God called me to build this center, Christian center. And God told me to ask you to give you $1,000 right now, this moment. And not to mention lately, uh, one, one of the television lists asked for $300 from 200,000 people, Some, something like that, right? So his uh, new jet costs $65 million something. Is it ridiculous? So people are laughing at it, and they put down the, uh, the website because of, because of the ridicule. But there is a still way to give that's still going on. Or another abuse could be there is a psychic hotline you could call and ask them about your fortune, about what's coming up. But you could have a prophecy hotline cost $9.99 per minute.
So because of these two things, we are not to disregard, despise New Testament prophecy. So I am here to go through the entire chapter 14, verse uh, 2, all the way to 25, and we'll tackle 26 to 40 next week. But today, I'm going to present five reasons that Paul, Paul is urging us to earnestly desire, especially that we may prophesy. Should we say five factors? Here's one, first one. The factor number one is audience, because of the audience. Tongues are spoken to God, but prophecy is spoken to people. Verse 2, for one who speaks in, in, tongue, in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Did you see that? The most important thing about the, uh, this first factor is the tongues are supposed to be directed to God. It's prayer, it's pra- praise to God. And right away, we know that people on TV or the congregating on a very extreme charismatic movement are not following this directive, command from God. We are, to, we are to talk to God through the gift of spirit, uh, speaking in tongues. On the other hand, prophecy is directed to people in understandable human words. And these three uh, purposes, upbuilding, which means edification, encouragement, and consolation. So for this reason alone, Paul says, when you gather, it's good to seek to prophesy one another. The right words from your heart, prompted by the Holy Spirit. And we don't even, in this day and age, because of the controversial issue, we don't even have to use the word prophecy. As a matter of fact, on Saturday morning and we're praying, one of the sisters shared some struggle. And I felt compelled. I'm not a prophet in an Old Testament sense at all. But I felt by the Holy Spirit, here's a word to encourage you, to comfort you, to see things right way. We could do that in our church. Number two reason is it's because of its beneficiary. Tongues build up on one who speaks, but prophecy builds up others in the church. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, 
Isn't it wise on that? Let people get wrong idea that Paul is against speaking in tongue altogether. He will say, now I want you all to speak in tongue, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than one, than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Do you see this? He's not against the practice of speaking in tongue, but he's against where it is practiced. Because it is directed God, because it's, it's not known language to others, Go to your private, private closet. Talk to God. And your spirit will be benefit. The things that you can't even know how to pray. Holy Spirit will use that utterance. And some of the, the personal experience support that. But prophecy's beneficiary are not one person but many, especially uh, under the guidance of the Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, it is primarily to be used on gatherings, not, you know, telephone hotline (laughs) or piece of paper at the cost of $5 only. So we are to seek to build up others to words that edify, encourage, and comfort the church. Here's a fourth, I mean third uh, factor and reason. And this is an important reason for all of us. Intelligibility. Using intelligible words. And further... It is important to use our mind. And I'll explain a little bit later more on that. Tongues are unintelligible utterances, obviously, in this chapter. But prophecy is, is intelligible speech to hearers. Verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy, or teaching. Even if, if even lifeless in- instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an instinct sound, indis- indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? I mean, just reading this passage so far is clear enough now. It becomes much more clear as time passes by. What what Paul is saying is, have you heard the instruments, especially, you know, kids starting to learn violin? Oh, that just makes you crazy, right? And Sawyer is starting to learn how to play trumpet. And it is not easy to make the sound. But just imagine that there is no melody. There is just a kind of screeching sound. What benefit will that bring? 
And the second example that Paul is using is in the battlefield in our ancient antiquity, the people use bugle, the, some kind of trumpet and horn sound. And if you hear that, maybe three long way, or one short and two long, and that means get ready for battle. Enemies are coming. But if you just kind of, how will anybody know? Point is again, if it's unintelligible, it cannot edify the people. So in building up the church, intelligible words based on scripture are crucial in spirit's work and in and through them. Reason or factor number four is edification. Edification is a construction word, just means building up, strengthening. It is better, Paul's uh, confession and charge, we're using that as a summary. It's better to speak five understandable words to edify others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. In all spiritual gifts, do you see that? When Paul mentions, therefore, strive to excel in building up the church. And within that sense, verse 16 continues, otherwise, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen. To your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others that is, to build up others, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Imagine in our church setting, you know, we, we, one of the trademark that we've been uh, hearing, all the new people, and especially the new uh, members orientation, what do you like the most about Crossway so far? And they will say Crossway story. It is powerful. It is real. It is vulnerable stories. Imagine 
instead of using intelligible words, they just come out and say, I'm going to share my crossway story. This is what God's been doing in my life. Blah, 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 blah. It doesn't edify, does it? But what if everybody's curious about how you could do that in a very strange kind of ecstatic utterance in front of you? Attention goes to right up, right to you, isn't it? This, to the speaker. But one of the best remark of spirit-led testimony is that the person subside alongside, and the name of Jesus is revealed and exalted and uplifted high. And that's one of the cups principle if you if you ever read that guideline christ centered use verse or two because scripture based personal it's not a preach money but it is testimony and s stands for simple or short christ centered does it edify so some of you are still kind of wondering about oh I think this is more some people else. And I'll do application in a minute. I need to do one more before application. But I'm going to give you a little bit of tinge and nudge right here. When you gather, especially in your home group, the two home groups gather tonight. Do you go there? How can I edify? How can I build a bother around me? Consumer-oriented church, not only home group, but coming to churches. Uh, what's the passage about? Who's speaking? Or who's singing? Or who's leading worship? Oh, not for me. I'm going to check this out later. Maybe online if I have to do. Christ-centered church, people who are in inspired, encouraged by the Holy Spirit that we are to exercise our spiritual gift so vigorously, so intentionally, even the time as we gather together, few minutes prior to the worship starts, becomes your ministry time. And you don't really need fancy title for your spiritual gifts if you, don't, if you know how to hear and comfort, and if you know how to give very clear-minded encouragement, or if you just welcome people with your warmth, that's edification. We are to do that. In our Western society that is consumer-oriented, trained us so much to be a mere spectators and mere assessors of the program in front of us on stage. When you come as a people of God, you come participate, participating together. And of course, 
you could mention, you could visualize this. This is not a consumer-oriented church. This is not a, even a building. They're gathering together their home, not because home gathering and house churches are more spiritual, but because they didn't have a buildings. As they're getting together, there a lot of their service was spontaneous. And as you meet like this, uh, in order to practice order and peace, and obviously that's very difficult to do. But in home groups, your men's group, women's group, your spiritual gifts are needed there. Have you ever thought about when you really just feel discouraged? For some reason. You don't need many words by others, right? And one person just holding, touching your shoulder. What's so much of empathic touch? That's all you need. It means a world to you. It's not only men. It's not only women. I've seen guys tearing off just one touch. But when you need a swift kick in your butt, when brother goes, come on, cheer up. Edification. Final one. Verse 20 to 25 is one of the most difficult passages. And I'm going to make sure that um, I don't sidetrack too much on this. I will call it factor number Five will be mature thinking. Considering the signs and nature of tongues and prophecy, it is shrewd, wise to speak, I mean, to seek to prophesy in public setting. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. Does that remind you something? Jesus said, be innocent like a dog when it comes to evil things. But be shrewd, wise as snake when it comes to really knowing the reality of how to deal with the evil in the world because you're not to be gullible, right? The same thing. And then he mentions in verse 21, he quotes Isaiah. Story from Isaiah, chapter 28. The law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are Signed for not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. When you hear the word sign, usually Jesus healed and Jesus opened the blind man's eyes, it is a sign that he is a Messiah for us to believe. We tend to think in that terms. The sign means a good, positive sign for those people. But if you look at this context, 
it is actually bad sign. Isaiah 28, God comes and through the mouth of prophets, prophets speaks to the Israelites, the northern kingdom. They do not listen. So he brings a foreign language, the utterance they cannot understand, Assyrians. And they actually gulp them up. And they're no longer nations anymore. And Judah only exists. And they were taken to Assyria. And living in foreign land with foreign language as slaves. That was actually a sign of unbelief. Of God's judgment on them. So the only way to make sense in this, in the commentator's, have different opinions. One that makes most sense is that this is a bad sign. Not for, but against unbelievers. But it gets more complicated. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes to, together and all speak in tongue and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Are you confused? He already said the tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Not for believers, right? But actually this sounds like uh, and the prophecies for believers, not for believers. Not, not for unbelievers, right? But unbelievers come in, you speak Unknown tongues. And will they not say that you are out of mind? So this is the only way it makes sense. is If they do not see the work of the Holy Spirit because of their unbelief, by saying that you are out of your mind is a bad sign against them. But actually, it goes further. Prophet seems to be also for... um, Unbelievers, because unbelievers hear it, understand it, may feel convicted and come to repentance and salvation, as well as the believers. So I'm not going to muddle the pond a little little longer, because I think that's as it is, is fine, because some of the commentaries actually said, because they're so troubled, and the earlier passage, the copyist, the scribes who copy the manuscripts switch the app by accident. Could happen. I, I don't know. But I think the key idea that I find comfort and clarity is the idea of mature thinking. When it comes to evil, be infant. When it comes to discerning things, be mature in your thinking. Mature thinking is mature mind. To assess and discern how to use, best to use, spiritual gifts in every setting. 
And once again, Paul is not against speaking in tongue. He says, I, I'm thankful. Why is he thankful? Because he's experienced benefit for himself. I, I'm thankful that I speak more tongues than any of you. So his encouragement will continue on and more in the application next week. But when it's spoke, sp- speaking in tongue in public setting, that intelligibility has to happen. In other words, someone who has a gift of interpretation of tongues need to speak up. Otherwise, be silent. With that much of a preview, I'm going to end here. A few couple of applications. Number one, instead of being caught up with technical stuff about these very seemingly very uh, distant uh, spiritual gifts, would you think about your own desire? Do you have an earnest desire to build up the body of Christ? So the, the, your desire comes from the fact that you want to build up the Crossway Church as a body of Christ. That's first application. Number two, when you think about your spiritual gifts, let's remember this. Love principle is, it is not about me. My spiritual gift is not about me. But it is for others. The benefit of others. So if you are praying for me, would you pray continually that whatever I do in my preaching, in my pastoring, if there is any benefit comes out of that because of spiritual gifts that God has given me, that I will stay humble. That Christ will continually be honored. So otherwise I get skewed about how do you define the success of ministry? Especially we, we, if you're like me, if I'm tongue-tied and you know my minds are going 10 miles ahead than my words, on top of that, I've, according to my sons, I still sound like a fob. <laughs> Number three, without getting caught up with the prophecy, the title of prophecies. Would you think about thoughtful, intelligible words as you spontaneously prompted by the Holy Spirit when you see a sister or brother who needs encouragement, when you see a brother or sister who needs strengthening of the faith or consolation, comfort, would you be ready to be used by God and not worrying about, do I have gifts? Do I not? How do I find out? Is there a test that I could take? Can I call hotline to find out? My, my wish and prayer 
for all of us at Crossway is that our church is continually being built up, not by one or a few people, but every member ministry. When you go to home group tonight, would you think about that you have ministry, you have a part in building up? Well, by the way, showing up is halfway of your ministry there. May the Holy Spirit continually charge us and encourage us as we do so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your guidance through this difficult passage. I am so thankful for the clarity that you've given me. At the same time, I'm humbled by the fact that the signs of immaturity in our own lives, in our church life, and I pray, Lord, that you will cause us and prompt us and nudge us and use us to display the honor of Christ in the way and the manner we, in which we live. In our community, we pray that our one anotherness uh, the mutual encouragement and support will be evident through the work of the Holy Spirit. So continually charge us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.